All right, in this week's episode, we invited Ariel Fisher to the podcast. We covered a wide variety of topics, including what it really means to be a conservative, the United States-Israeli relationship, anti-Semitism, the 2020 election, what else, the future of our political system, and much, much more. If at any point you're unfamiliar with what we were talking about, we've tried to link as many things as possible at the end of the description of this podcast to give you just a bit more context. And if you have not done so already, please be sure to follow us on all of our follow socials. Us. On Facebook by typing in the Debate Without Debate podcast, on Instagram by typing in the.dwd.podcast, or you can just email us at the Debate Without Debate podcast at gmail.com. As always, we are really happy to answer any of the questions that you might have or just to chat with you. We've loved hearing your commentary thus far, but that all being said, let's get this conversation started. Boom. Welcome back. If you're new, please stay. We would really appreciate it. <laughs> Today we have on Ariel Fischler. Ariel, wake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Ariel, so we just want to start off. Today we're going to be talking about politics, something that I am very passionate about and I know that you are pause, too. Pause, pause, pause. We forgot one important step. Ariel, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys doing we're, today? We're, we're good. We're good. All right, we, we missed that. We missed that. <laughs> <laughs> so t- today, as I was talking about, we're going to talk about politics. Um, but the first thing that I want to start off with is, Ariel, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your political involvement in the past? Sure. So I began becoming pretty political ac- politically active when I was about 13, um, probably late eighth grade um, when my parents got divorced. So basically what happened is when you're 13 in New York State, you have a lot of um, rights in terms of what happens in a custody battle. Hmm. So in terms of that, there's a lot of government intervention within like the state government in terms of with my little guardian and my um, opinions and what I want for my future. So when that happened, I began to realize there's a lot of government involvement within a battle that was so personal to me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know what, how can the government just have so much power over my life really at that point? And by the time I became like a freshman in high school, I was like, okay, let's see what I can do and what I can do to make a change at least. So um, by the time I became a freshman, I began writing for a political newspaper online called the Millennial Review. Hmm. And I became like fascinated by a lot of like domestic politics in terms of child protection rights and what a child has the right to do in terms of um, like just like as a minor really. So it started off as a personal journey for you and it kind of spiraled into a journey for the community of kids who have difficult home lives or something Mm -hmm. like that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I think in terms of that, like politics was like an organic process for me and kind of happened by mistake in terms of like how I got involved, which I think was pretty important in terms of like organically developing my opinions. Sure. That's awesome. I actually had no idea about that. So the way that that Joey and I met Ariel was through debate. Um, So I'm curious as to your thoughts. So you got, do you think debate has helped you with your political knowledge. I know you started this as a journey for yourself, but for sure, especially becoming balanced on both sides of the spectrum, because mm-hmm. I came in having a lot of strong opinions and strong dissent towards certain opinions. And, you know, the reason I joined debate was to balance that out because 
I have like this drive to learn. Like I don't want to stop learning from the other side. I think it's so important, especially like when I started like the political journey, we'll call it that, like it's to balance out the other side. So I think debate really brought that on for me and even challenged my opinions in so many ways. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think Joey and I would 100% agree with that statement. That's part of the reason why I continued to do it for so long for our three years and we did it together. Um, but today, really, the reason we, we wanted Ariel on was she's one of the few people that I've met in our town. We live in a relatively liberal town that has worked for conservative campaigns, um, espouses conservative ideas. So that's really what I want to talk about today. Uh, and I also want to talk about, well, first off, I, I want to ask you, conservatism has a bad rep in the media. Yep. And there's a lot of people saying... This is this, and I think this is on either side of the spectrum. Democrats are socialists, um, conservatives are xenophobic, racist, et cetera, et cetera. In your mind, what do you define as being um, a conservative or conservatism? I think conservatism really just goes back to the founding fathers and what they initially wanted for our country. And it's that strict interpretation of it throughout the entire time period since then. So in terms of if we compare conservatism to liberalism, conservatism strict is strictly on a basis of rules and guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't change throughout time. And what I and what I particularly align myself within conservatism is this framework that it sets up for me. And it sets up a framework in every terms of politics, whether it's foreign, social, domestic issues. And I think it sets up a framework that isn't really that doesn't really adjust according to the time period. As if we go to liberalism, their framework of politics and policy for in itself adjusts according to the time period. Sure. I'm, I'm curious then, why why do you trust so much in the founding fathers? I know we, we put them always on a pedestal, and they're amazing for having created the country that we now live in. Um, but why do you think that that really shouldn't change? Why a strict constructionist approach really does work? Right. So I think as we go on, this country has been developing for 300 years. And once our country begins to question each time we go through certain issues within the country, we take a very different approach to how to approach the situation. And if we go back to the founding fathers, they were geniuses that sat there and made this framework for our country to approach situations in a very specific orderly fashion. And I think that's what's so important in terms of politics is that if we begin to change the way in which we approach certain things, our country is not going to go in the right direction and constantly change the face we put out to the world. Mm. So you argue for the mindset of conservatism it's, as opposed to like the policies. Yeah. So okay. I think it's more of a mindset because I think the policy always changes because of the party system. Um, we, I think there's a big differentiation between the party system versus the ideology of conservatism because most conservatives align themselves as Republicans. Yeah. I don't define myself as a Republican. Interesting. Because of the mindset versus the policy. Well, let's talk about that a That's little. That's interesting. I, I'm curious, when, when did this start? When did you stop, or did you just never identify as being Republican? I accidentally, as I said, just became a conservative just because of the things I went through organically. And okay. like once I realized that aligns with that conservative mindset, I realized you know, this partisanship is just not for me, because partisanship is so corrupted both democrats and republicans and i just don't want to associate myself with it like the grouping nature of politics yeah i, I have a similar perspective although i don't really know what end of this asher thinks that i'm more more liberal in mindset i don't know what i am particularly mm. personally i think that i'm more centrist in viewpoint but 
um, for me as well, I don't really align with any political party because I think that there's a lot of negative connotations when you actually do affiliate right. with either a Democratic Party or a Republican Party. I think it's, so. it's interesting to think about. And we've, we've had this conversation before a little bit. The, the concept of, of identity politics, not just in the context of being a woman or being white or being black, also infiltrates the, the party system where identifying as a Republican means or espouses certain beliefs. Um, identifying as a Democrat makes you a, a certain perceptive view from other people. And I think that's been particularly interesting uh, over this past year um, with a lot more people talking about how uh, Trump supporters, people who would wear, for example, Make, Make America Great Again hats, will literally get attacked in, in very liberal areas because they believe, you know, if you identify with X president, then you must also, uh, like, believe the exact same yeah, things. that feeds into the negative connotation yeah. aspect, you know. If you support a president who maybe has one particular flaw or supports an idea that maybe you also follow, then once you associate with them, you basically just adopt all the negative aspects of that president. So like for Trump, for instance, people who like Trump, um, what, when they like Trump, people are always just like, oh, you're racist. I'm like, maybe, maybe they just, maybe they just want better border security, you know? So it's really, it's, it's a wish wash. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough to have those kinds of, of debates and those talks because, and this is me blaming, I guess, media interpretations of what things look like. And I think this was was really, really true with the Jesse Smollett case. Um, if anyone doesn't know about this case, I highly recommend that you read some articles you on it. want to give them a quick summary? Just yeah, quick summary. Jesse Smollett is an actor on Empire. He uh, was in Chicago one night and then was attacked. Um, he then claimed that it was a homophobic and racist attack by Trump supporters. Later came out that um, there were two black men who did it. Uh, and then people believed that he hired them because he was he was going to get a pay cut um, or his or sorry not a pay cut that he was going to get ri- uh, written out of the pl- of of the show, um, and so the Chicago PD did a whole investigation into it. There's both st- sides of the story, by the way, are absolutely ridiculous. However, one thing that I was listening to Ariel, do you know Trevor Noah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was listening to Trevor Noah in one of one of the clips that he has on YouTube, and he talked about you know it's really a problem that immediately once Jesse Smollett's case came out, people immediately snapped, like politicians on Twitter, even uh, celebrities went to support Jesse Smollett without actually having any backing to their claims. And the weird thing was, is, and he explained that as people were just trying to confirm their own biases about what a Trump supporter is like. And I think that's really problematic, that, that people will just jump to conclusions to... Because a lot of people want to say, you know, Trump supporters, they're horrible people. They elected this president, blah, 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 blah. But I think people forget that, like, a Trump supporter could be a good person. A Hillary supporter can be a good person. Like, just because you have certain beliefs doesn't mean that you're a corrupt individual, that you that you hate everyone. You might just believe that X candidate is better at this time than somebody else. And I, I, I am disgusted by it. Um Personally, I have always identified as being much more liberal. I do believe that most of my ideas are on that side of the spectrum. Um, do I identify with the Democratic Party? I don't really know, especially in the context of some of the anti-Semitic remarks that have been made, um, which Ariel is also Jewish. So this is something I want to talk about as well. 
um being being jewish and have have you been to israel before yes every summer okay does that impact you in any way because i know lately a lot of jewish people who are pro-israel um find themselves supporting much more republicans or much more conservative ideology right so especially because i am israeli i definitely do have a different point of view on this entire thing um i think what happened is that when you identify yourself as liberal and especially in light of all these anti-semitic remarks and things that have been going on with the new congress and everything there's much more burden because you're put at this crossroads right like you're at this crossroads now like am i still liberal with these people that are bringing a whole different face to what i believe in and who i am actually as a person because you are jewish but when you're conservative generally conservative uh politicians are definitely more pro-israel um because of like they're also christianity like more christians align themselves as conservative so they're heavily pro-israel um being israeli at least has influenced um i guess a lot of my conservative views on israel because a lot a lot of Israelis are heavily alt-right, for sure. When I go to Israel, you see a lot of alt-right. Really? Yeah, really? it depends because when I like where I like where my family's from is not like the cities. Like if you see Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, like Haifa, yeah. like that's where all like you know the urban liberal cities are. Yeah. But yeah. you know, if you look at the older generations, like my grandparents, for instance, there's heavily strictly conservative social, like socially strictly conservative, um, especially in terms of the policy and how to interact with it but in terms of anti-semitism at least and how to combat it i think being conservative actually gave me a leg up on it because you don't see many conservatives at least recently in the media showing anti-semitism but it exists like on the alt-right um we just haven't seen it lately but it does exist i, I think there hmm. so while while i agree too that that the that some of the people some of the new democrats especially um have espoused questionably anti-semitic remarks um like uh what's her name ilhan omar and uh talib um and even potentially aoc yeah but i do think that the republicans have have an issue with it as well there was a candidate in illinois that was running on a neo-nazi platform um i think and, and in my mind i believe that every form of discrimination should be fought um, so for example, racism and anti-Semitism, you can't pick and choose. You can't just be like, no, racism is bad, but like anti-Semitism, like I don't really care about it. I think the hardest thing this stuff comes down to is really how, I think when it comes to Judaism, a lot of people tie anti-Semitism to Israel. Right. Yeah. But I think people forget that you can criticize yeah. the Israeli government without having anti-Semitic remarks. For example, I am not always happy with what Israel does. I personally don't like their settlement policies. I also don't like the corruption associated with Netanyahu. However, I also believe that there should be a place for the Jewish people, um, and it just so happens that unfortunately there's been a lot of conflict in the area that they were brought uh, back to or to in the beginning from, from the British. Right, so I think what's happening right now is that because a lot of us get our politics from the media, unfortunately, there's been this crossover with anti-Semitism and being pro-Israel, right? Yeah. So, And there's a clear differentiation between the two, just like you mentioned. And I think what we're seeing right now is on the left side of the political spectrum is that there's a lot of anti-Semitism as well as anti-Israel um, rhetoric going on. But if we go to the other side of the spectrum on the right, it's more anti-Semitism rather than anti-Israel. Sure. Why do you think that is? I think what happens is that uh, if you look at a lot of conservative politicians and thinkers, at least, is that they are heavily pro-Israel. Why? Is because it's the only democracy in the Middle East. 
promotes peace in the Middle East, at least. And it's only the stable country in the Middle East. Mm. So it's a great barrier ground, at least for the United States, to have some sort of foot in the Middle East and to create like a stable environment. So we had this whole topic about this, this past debate topic about the United States and other countries. This is related to military arms. But I think it kind of ties into the whole conversation of the United States having what you said, like a footing in the Middle East, right? Do you think that that's right in a sense? Or? It, it depends because we have definitely intervened to, we, there have been times where we have intervened and overstayed our bounds, right? Mm. Especially after 9-11, our immediate reaction was, you know, this is the Middle East's fault. We have to put our foot somehow in there and control it and send out our troops and, you know, intervene militarily. And it's the problem right now, I think, is that we are actually going in a diplomatic way to, right now, at least in terms of the United States. We just pulled out troops in Syria, at least, and at least we're trying to take out some sort of control in the mm. Middle East slowly. But it's to the extent to which how, if we go out of the Middle East, will it still remain a stable environment? Mm. So on the cynical side, I know you, you gave Israel and, and the relationship between the United States and Israel very positive light, which... I tend to agree with in some instances, but I also believe that there's a flip side to this coin in a much more cynical view where the reason why the United States is so supportive of Israel is because it has developed itself as a first world nation. It has incredible economic power. It has a huge military. Um, and because of that, the United States sees it as, and and from my, from my view, the United States uses this form of, and I don't want to call it uh, colonization because a lot of people weaponize that against uh, the Israelis by saying that they came and colonized when in reality the British colonized and then gave land which however you want to view that um, I, I don't really know but the United States almost uses its capital power to control areas um, more so than possibly even their military I mean that's why economic sanctions are so important in the context for example like Venezuela is happening right now um, and also the reason why we use economic sanctions far more than we ever use our military power now, because we're the greatest economy in the world, at least for right now. Um, so from, from, my, from my point of view, it's really hard. And, and I've talked to people about this a lot. And I've talked to people who say, you know, Israel shouldn't exist. The Palestinians have the right to live there. Talk to people who say that the Palestinians have no right to live there because that's our land to begin with. And like, from my perspective, it's, I don't know if there will ever be a time when there's actually a solution to this issue. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think everyone deserves a place to exist. Yeah. Well, what was that video that we watched um, that, that outlined Palestinian viewpoint? Versus... Oh, yeah. It was, that was a really great video. There was, there was a video where they had Palestinians and uh, pro, pro-Israel people come together. They sat around a table. And they no, not talking. even that. Oh. It, was, um, it was the video. It was Joe and... Damon and Joe or something like that. Oh, I know what you're talking but, about. But um, it was this whole video. It's kind of like a short little documentary. But it kind of outlined viewpoint of Palestinians versus pro-Israel or people who live in like, quote unquote, Israeli territories versus Palestinian territories. Um, and, and I found it really interesting that they both just want the same exact thing. Like the people want the same thing in the sense that they just want a place to live. But I, I feel as though the government is kind of screwing with stuff. Um but that's just interesting to me how I think sometimes the government, in terms of the whole Israel ordeal, kind of perverts the intentions of the people. Right. So, so if we even go back to like what we were just talking about with the U.S.-Israeli relations, I think it's heavily political and based off yeah. who's in power. Right now we have Netanyahu in Israel, right? And their Israeli elections are coming up very soon. And there's a lot of parties that believe that their candidates might take that 
may take the prime minister spot away from Netanyahu after his he's been the longest standing prime minister in Israel going this is his, he's about to end his fourth term as prime minister um but right now president trump is our president during the obama era we had never ever seen such good israeli us relations hell mm-hmm. obama barely did anything in terms of being pro israel actively and at least you know just having main, like maintaining a good relation in the middle east like that um, I think President Trump is heavily like buddy buddy with Bet Bibi Netanyahu, right? So, we're, <laughs> like, if we're gonna put it that way, they're best yeah, friends. Go, you know, Bibi. they go out drink a beer together. Like, these guys are buddies. So right now, we're seeing great relations between U.S. and at least our ally in Israel. But it depends who's gonna be our president in 2020, 2020 right? So yeah. this is a heavily partisan issue. It depends who's in power and who has control over what's going on. That's true. I, I'm always curious why Netanyahu is so close with trump and and i've always thought it's because there's something to lose if he's not uh being losing a power like the united states that's backing you in comparison to all of the middle eastern countries around it that want it gone and to never exist is like the only way that israel exists i think you know if you cut the u.s's relationship with israel israel has a very viable chance of no longer existing the united states provides 3.1 billion dollars in foreign military aid to israel that's crazy that's a lot that's a lot but it's the reason as to why we're talking about a lot of the things that israel benefits from having the united states let's look at the other side right Mm -hmm. what does the united states have to benefit from having israel as an ally an incredible resource of technology first of all it's incredible how much israel actually feeds into our economy too in terms of technology and our progression in the world of stem like right now my aunt just came into new york from israel she works for NASDAQ, FME, which is, you know, like the Dow. Yeah. She just did her training for a week in Chicago and came over here to visit us. You know, it's incredible because they, her company, a startup, just got bought by NASDAQ. And that's just incredible how they're feeding from Israeli sources into our American economy. And that's just one story, right? We don't, you know, it's incredible how much we also benefit from Israel. You know, as much as we do fund them militarily, I think in the future we're going to see heavily, it's going to, it's going to heavily benefit us in the future, at least. Sure. And it's, it's not like a very uh, unilateral thing. It definitely is complex. I mean, that's every everyone who talks about Israel is like, this is an incredibly complex issue. There's no real solution. But I really think that people should invest more time in, in discussing it. Um, yeah. I find that people make a lot of very large blanket statements without any context um, without understanding any of the history. And it's hard because it's a, it's a country that's been around for less than 70 years. And to have that conversation, even though it's been such a short time, the amount of stuff that's happened in that amount of time is actually ridiculous. I mean, in, in any years in any country, there's a lot that happens. But the amount of significant events that has happened for such a small country, smaller than New Jersey, is absolutely ridiculous that this small piece of land... With it's, huge powers around it. It's so like debated about, and it is so criticized, yep. and there are so many people who are so supportive. It's, it's crazy to think that this one speck on, on our globe is the cause of so much tension, and, like, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been crazy, and what Joey talked about in the last, last debate topic, we talked about this a lot more, which I thought was good, but, again, when people talked about it, there were questions of whether or not they were being anti-Semitic. Yeah. I just think, it, I, I don't know. I just think that it's a difficult question to begin with. Um, but now that we've sidetracked a little, uh, I want to get back to 
your experience working on a campaign. Um, I remember you were working on, I forget his name. Yeah, Jack Martins. Okay. Yeah. I, I want to know what that experience was like. How did you get involved in the first place? Sure. So I, I don't think you guys remember, but we had a, um, a conservative Congress captain a few years back. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to mention names, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I think Asher knows who I'm talking about. But um, uh, so he told me that he got involved in this campaign over the summer. So going... So his summer before going and entering college and he was telling me about it. And I was just looking for at least some sort of like political experience, at least just to say the least. So I was probably so I started working on the campaign September of my junior year and he was running for county executive. I thought it'd just be a good experience to see what, you know, what goes behind a political campaign. Absolutely. And the thing is, because I was working for a Republican campaign um, in a very liberal area, I didn't realize how much backlash I would get working for that mm. because as an intern for the campaign, what they made me do is I would go out to these street fairs. I'd go out in the public, knock on doors, hand out, you know, the literature, um, for the candidate. And as a 16 year old girl, the amount of backlash that I received from normal everyday citizens, just yelling at me, Oh, you're just supporting Trump. You know, you're a xenophobe, you're anti-Semitic and they don't know anything about me. And they're just spitting out words as to a 16 year old girl lined up at a street fair just handing out political literature mm. for a candidate mm. and i think that was my very first experience with wow this world is just really ugly and there's just so much prejudice in this world and you know this is not just for me i'm sure if you go to like you know some sort of like alabama for example and Indeed. someone's you know you know ha handing out democrat literature Absolutely. the same thing exists mm -hmm. you know this is not just republican backlash but republican backlash but it's you know it exists and other uh, more, I guess, conservative areas when you're campaigning, campaigning for Democrats. So yeah. does that move, did that particular situation kind of motivate you to stay active in the political sphere or did it kind of disincentivize, or is it disenchanting in a sense? Right, so after that campaign, so last year I took a bit of a break because I just needed the yeah. okay. mental just to recoup. It, it's a lot, as you know, I was just being 16 with everything that was going on. The campaign was a great experience. I made so many friends within it. Like I got so many connections to do other things as well. And I kept on going, but it was more low key, like more anonymous. I started writing, as I was saying, for um, a political newspaper at the time. And my mom was just like, Ariel, I don't know if you want to use your real name because once you start applying to colleges, they can find you on the internet. And I started writing under a pen name. Wow. So because of that, I began to keep keep my beliefs to myself and not only online but also in school like i have a hydro flask with a bunch of stickers on it and i hide my hydro flask in my backpack wow. because i'm afraid of grade deflation wow so it's a matter of how much i've had to go through to hide who i am and it's scary to think about you know someone told me i was just talking to someone the other day and it's like Ariel, you're scared to come out as if you're gay I'm like, <laughs> like, like it's that bad. And I'm like, you know what? I never even thought about it to that extreme, but mm. you know, that's just the reality. That's fascinating. It. Well, first I'm, I'm so sorry that that happens yeah. to you. That <laughs> yeah, that's my, good. my issue with a lot of people. And part of the reason why Joey and I started this is we've noticed a lot of people being very, very dogmatic with their speech. That is very true. And especially in our town, I mean, we're all young and we think we know stuff. Joey and I think we know stuff, but we really don't like when it comes down to it, we're still learning. And that's part of the reason why we started this. But another reason was to also open up platforms for yourself to talk about that, because I think that's something that most people don't talk about, um, that there's legitimate prejudice. And maybe this is just because of our political atmosphere now over your just a belief. 
I don't, I don't, I don't get that. But I do want to talk about you. Act, you fear that teachers will literally deflate your grades. Mm-hmm. I'm being serious. This is the first year, probably in all four years of high school, that I've ever had a conservative teacher, and I know, yeah. you know, who yeah. I'm referring to. Yes. But I will, I will put my water bottle on my desk in that class. But in other classes, I will keep that in my backpack. Huh. Why? Let's go back to Mar- like the whole Parkland shooting last year. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that was the first stance in which I started fearing the school coming after me for my beliefs. Why is because the school actively promoted the walkout. Mm. The whole point of the walkout was, was for it to be walk. student organized <laughs> and walk out. Yeah. And it, I, w- I remember going into the gym and we had a ceremony and of course, like to commemorate the lives of Parkland, of course. Absolutely. But then after what happens that there was a rally in the gym mm. an anti-gun, anti-gun legislation, rhetoric, gun control, marching all around the gym. What does a person like me do in that situation? Mm. I got up from the bleachers with my friends and they yelled at me, shame on you. Shame on you for leaving the gym. What do I do in that situation when I do not want to actively promote that rhetoric? I went crying to my guidance counselor, fearing for my life. As someone who has shot a gun multiple times, it's kind of scary to see people say anti-gun, people who are anti-gun, I mean, people who are pro-gun or crazy people. And that affects me as a teenager, right? Psychologically. Mm. And I went home for the rest of the day. I couldn't handle it because it was just too much for me to take on. And after that point in time, I was like, wow, our school just took a political stance. And we don't talk about the amount of conservative people in our school who are hidden in their closets, fearing coming out with their beliefs. I have so many conservative friends in my school that are so low key about it. And that they tell me, Ariel, you're the only motivation I have to actually believe to stand in my beliefs i'm like you know what i actually want one of them to come on here with me because she's just so scared of you know what's going to happen if people find out and you know this exists so that's really interesting yeah because i feel like media portrays the conservative sect of politics to be really out there you know like they're just walking on the streets they always associate conservatism with trump i mean nowadays it's the only thing that that's on the media now it's just trump so it's really interesting that you say that and I, I, I personally, I've never heard that story before. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I've never heard of anyone be so affected by it. Um, myself for that particular experience when, when there was the walkout, if we can even call it that since it was in a gym. Yeah, I, I definitely did think that the school was taking a bit of a lean on it. Um, now... I think that students should be civically minded. I think the idea of a walkout is perfectly fine. I think having a certain belief, being anti-gun, sure, go do it. Just don't tack people. Like, that that defeats the purpose. How are you going to fight violence with more violence? (laughs) You you can't fight fire with fire. That just doesn't work. And and it, it pisses me off, to be honest. When I watch the news, and I've tried to decrease it a lot lately, and all I see is people spitting terrible words and demonizing other people. Like the Native American guy who came. Yeah. yeah. Both That's sides funny. of that story in particular. It's ridiculous. And like, regardless of what we believe, the fact that both of them, to an extent, began demonizing the other side, right? Yes, maybe someone could have done something better. Absolutely. And I don't know all the details, so I'm not going to speak totally on it. But for real people, like my mom has always said this, we're all on one team. We're all humans. And at the end of the day, regardless of your political belief, you bleed the same blood that I do. There's no difference. If we're all humans, we shouldn't be fighting like this. And 
And I've noticed this with Joey and I especially, because Joey and I have gotten a lot closer this year. And, <laughs> I mean, that that's why we, we're able to start this and be comfortable. Yes, um, but when we work together, we're far stronger than when we break each other down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I can only go back to when Michelle Obama spoke and said, when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. And I feel like not enough people have embraced that message, regardless of, of your belief on what, who Michelle Obama was. And I really do hope that, that coming into this next election cycle, that we have someone that can can unify. Because from my belief, and, I, and I'm also curious about, about what you think on, on Trump politics, Trumpianism, they're calling it whatever. Um, my belief is he, in his own special way, has either by intent or not by intent caused a lot of division in our country. Um, and I don't know if that's totally because of him, but I know that he is the center of how this has all happened. And, yeah. and during his campaign, breaching divisivity and the, his rhetoric that he was using, never been used before. But I'm curious from you, Ariel, what are your thoughts on Trump, um, his rhetoric, his policies, the whole gamut? So what I believe happened in 2016 is that there was a schism both in the Republican side and the Democrat side. Yeah. Because what Trump tapped into is the very economics of our country. So he brought in a lot of, took a lot of Democrat votes who were concerned about economic policy from like the rural area. So like I think that's called the Rust Belt of our country. Mm -hmm. And he sucked the Democrat votes from that area. And that's what really got him the dub. No joke. Yeah. But on the other side of the Republican spectrum, we have strict conservatives, right? We have more progressive conservatives, which I kind of like to identify myself with. But we also have this new line of Trump conservatives. So this whole new branch of Republicans just started on the Republican side, which promote Trump rhetoric. But what exactly is Trump rhetoric? Is like, Let's get down to that question. So Trump rhetoric, in my opinion, has been heavily populist. And what I've been seeing is that it's not just the United States that's experiencing this populist Absolutely. trend. We can go into South America, Venezuela, Brazil, Bolsonaro, the current president in Brazil is heavily populist. Um, but it's just this growing trend, even in Europe, parts of Europe are also, yeah, yeah. Like Germany too. Like we've just been seeing this like populist trend start growing. And I think somehow this new Republican like leg of Trumpism just started because of this like populist mentality. And I think it's just this hype that Trump gives to these certain people, like, you know, jobs, immigration, like he hypes it up so much that people have begun passionate about it. And in my opinion, politics is twofold. It's passion and interest, but it's a matter of how the government controls passion and interest because passion can sometimes overcome interest. And what's happening right now on the Republican side is that passion is heavily overcoming interest. And the reason that what's happening right now is that we're seeing is the Democrats reacting to that with a lot more passion. I mean, we see AOC being elected to the house and incredibly the freshman to our Congress who's incredibly socialist and the Democrats are now reacting the same way as Republicans were to Obama. Mm. And now mm. we're seeing that backlash of passion taking over interest in our the, politics. The interesting thing, especially since Bernie has come into the 2020 race, Trump, I think, wants a populism duel. I think he wants <laughs> he wants the right populism and the left populism because when it comes down to it, they're both saying, I am for the average worker. That is what populism has said in our country ever before. And it started with farmers. That's where it started, and now it's grown into basically they – they had it as a party for a while, and now it's integrated into both parties where Bernie Sanders, regardless of whether or not you think he's a Democrat, because I know there's a debate about that, identifies as being a Democrat for the 2020 race, 
and he espouses very populist beliefs, but on the left side, he is much more and I guess actively embraces the idea of socialism, which I mean, we could we could delve into a bit as to what what our thoughts are on that. But Trump, on the other side, espouses the absolute opposite, um, where he is economically very uh not liberal, but he doesn't have a very large stance on government regulation. He thinks that we should deregulate. He thinks that we should, um, the tax cuts will prove that he believes more in a, ta- in a top-down economic system, um, which we can also talk about whether or not that works. But he also will espouse like what some would say anti-immigrant rhetoric, potentially xenophobic rhetoric, if some people argue that, questionably uh, racist things as to what some people say. And, it, and it's hard for, for me, uh, living under a president, that I, I do believe his rhetoric just messes everything up. I think um, his rhetoric is very understandable to the con- – you talked about populism. Like yeah. It's very understandable. It's understandable to the, to the common man. Yeah. yeah That's why sure. there's hype. Yeah. I think also what's, being hap- what's happening is that there's a lot of – I write articles about political osmosis. And what is exactly political osmosis? People ask me about it, and I'm just like, we're being politically osmosized. What does that mean is that we're being influenced by other people in terms of our political nature. Mm. I thankfully, my political journey has been organic and I always talk about that. I always talk about how my opinions formed organically through a situation that I couldn't control. Right now, a lot of our people and especially in our generation are being osmosized by other opinions from what the media, our friends, where we live, what religion we believe in, where we live geographically is what incorporates into what I call the political equation. All these factors contribute to what your ideology or what party you align yourself with at the end of the day. Mm. If you take my demographics, for example, I'm Jewish, I'm a woman, I live where I live, mm. heavily liberal area, people would assume I am liberal. Yep. Let's go back to the backstory. I'm not, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> at the end of the story, I actually broke my political equation because I was not osmosized. Mm. So it's a matter of how we control this political osmosis in order to make sure that people are organically developing their How opinions. does one define organic versus like influenced by another person? Like how, what's the bright line between that? Right. So when I talk about organically making your political opinions, it's going through experiences. All politics is, is once again, interest and passion. What's in your best interest and what are you passionate about? Not what others are passionate about, not what the media says you should be passionate about or interested about. It's what you are interested or need to be passionate about. For example, I know that sounds very broad spectrum, but it's a matter of going through these experiences. For example, when I was 16, I got my first job on the books. I saw how much tax cuts came out of my first paycheck. Mm. I wanted tax reform. Why should a 16-year-old girl have to have 40% of her paycheck go to her social security fund, to Medicare, and to the federal government? To me, that was just ridiculous. But it's just a matter of these experiences that that's how you should develop your Mm political opinion but don't you think that's some like relatively well, let's see don't you think that all perspectives are in some way influenced by other people in the sense that let's say you attend a rally right maybe you initially wanted to attend the rally because that's i don't know that's just like what you wanted to do right but that experience was influenced by other people around you right conformity is easy conformity is comfort comfortable it's easy to conform yourself it's easy to call yourself liberal in our area because conformity is comfortable no one asks you questions about that once you break out of that shell then there's questions that line up for you right Absolutely. i remember in gen- like the in our gender equality club we talked about how the leaders of the what like the feminist movement have become anti-semitic and whether that should affect 
someone going to the women's march in new york city yeah because there's this fa- new face to the entire you know the face to the a- actual movement itself and you know that brings up the question about you know now that i identify myself as liberal am i feminist am i pro like do black lives matter there's a line of questions that comes after that mm. and it's a burden because conformity is easy for the average person yeah especially at our age when we just want to you know take things to, like lay back and be chill about these things you know conformity is just easy and i think that comes along with something that uh, that our teacher who who is like calls himself very conservative and and is proud to be a conservative teacher in in an area where we have a lot of liberal teachers talks about how it's a lot of people don't really have political knowledge and and will de facto their ideas especially of their parents um so joey joey and i our parents have always been registered as democrats but especially over the past 10 years they've become much more economically centrist um ariel your your mom which you live with your mom right Mm -hmm. um is where does she line up on on these issues so both my parents are independents um so over the past 10 years if i look at my mom like the way she's voted she's voted for al gore she voted for bush she voted for mccain but she's i mean when she was younger she definitely voted more democratically sure but you know her opinions change based on the politics because once again it's what's for her best interest as an israeli woman what's in her best interest as a single mom what's in her best interest Mm -hmm. Once again, these factors are what should be determining the way you vote, the way you're politically involved, and not by where you live, not by what your gender is, and not by these social norms that we've classified our politics by. Um, but I think, as I said, it, like as we're if we're talking about like family and the influence of family on our um, politics, yeah, it heavily influences who we are because sure. once again, conformity is easy. Yep. It's easy to conform to your parents being Democrats. It's easy to conform to your parents being Republicans. It's a matter of breaking that shell. And not everyone has to break the shell, but it's a matter of how you break the shell. Mm. Very wise words, Ariel. <laughs> um, but I want to, you, you mentioned a few times that you write. Um, I had no idea about yeah. this. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started writing for, you said Millennium? Uh, the Millennial Review. A millennial. Uh, can you tell us a little how you got started and what you typically write about? So all of last year I was writing for it. Unfortunately, <laughs> the newsletter got like uh, defunded because it's run by college students. So... <laughs> They <laughs> ran out of funding for it, okay. unfortunately. But last year, I started writing for foreign policy because I th- was really passionate about foreign policy. And I was just, you know, like just testing out the water, like, you know, putting my opinion about it. Like we had the North Korean missile crisis. We had a, um, a few things in Iran, mostly like the Middle East and Asian topics I was writing about. Um, and I, I was analyzing it in terms of what I would see would happen in the future. Um, once again, and then I was also the youngest writer on the newsletter. So they said, maybe we should make a Generation Z column. And I was like, this is great. Like, let's start Generation Z. Let's bring some high school writers in. Mm. So by then, by the end of last year, we had about five writers for Generation Z. And Generation Z addressed basically a whole array of different issues that we wanted to talk about as high school students. Um, Unfortunately, like by the time it started, like the newsletter had to go out and defund it. But um, it was a great experience just to meet other people around the country, Mm. see what we're going through. Uh, where where did you get the idea to start writing? Were you approached by someone? Yeah, how did you find Oh, yeah, it? so they contacted me on Facebook, out of all things, because I think once I was on the campaign, they saw like, me campaigning mm. uh, for Jack Martin's, like, a Republican candidate. Um, this, like, they had, like, a page, kind of like how we have for our speech and debate program, and they just, you know, messaged me through it, and they were like, if you're interested, hop on. So is this more Northeast thing, or is this um, national? It's, it was 
it's an online it was like online so you can just access it online mm, okay. um it was college student run and so. was it was it intended to be for more conservative writers or just anyone um it was the millennial review so they were looking for more millennial perspectives on conservatism oh, I, got you, I got you so it's more of like like i said like more progressive conservatism in a way what, what does that mean it's more like socially cons- most socially liberal but a lot of fiscally conservative people so almost libertarian would you would you say like yes thing is libertarian doesn't really have policy in my opinion yeah, yeah. so like I got you. like these people had strong opinions on like policy really and how you, the, that should take on so. sure that that's super interesting yeah. uh joey do you have any any questions about that no i'm just absorbing it <laughs> okay um so i noticed on your facebook that you started or you you did this program called the empire girls state um could you tell us a little bit about that because I, I i'm assuming that it's politically oriented as well right uh no actually oh no. it's not no oh um, so it's all through the american legion auxiliary and if you guys don't know what that is it's basically our um it's not a government program but it's kind of like uh they have a bunch of houses across not houses but like homes i guess across like the country where it's each town usually has an american legion auxiliary mm. and it's basically for veterans where they go to for help so mm. it helps veterans out with like, how do I get a job when I come back from war? Just to integrate back into society. So what they do is that the American Legion Auxiliary in each state has a program called Empire Girls, Girl State and Boy State. So there's also a Boy State. Um, specifically, Empire Girl State is New York. And what happened is uh, the district nominated me to be the representative to be nominated by the American Legion Auxiliary within our district to go to Empire Girl State and participate in the program. That's awesome. So what the program specifically is, is to have students actively involved in government. So what we did is we created this 51st fictional state. And I met girls from all over New York, like rural parts of New York, like girls who have only 18 kids in their graduating class. But it was about 400 of us and we're all meeting each other within the week and we're trying to figure out this 51st fictional state and how to run it. And we were divided in counties and we went through like the entire electoral process. We had congressional legislation. So it was just a great experience. Um, but what part of that program is, is patriotism and how to be a good citizen, at least to vote, to respect the flag. We learned flag burials and all these sorts of things. And coming out of that program, I realized, you know, I haven't appreciated enough what this country has done for me. Mm. And I began tapping into maybe I should join the military. And it was kind of like an extreme point of view. And my parents kind of looked at me like, you're crazy, right? <laughs> you know, because um, we never really hear stories about people from our high school even, you know, going into the military. I mean, it's more low key, but someone with my reputation, I guess, like going into the military wasn't really in my political equation, let's say. Hmm. And I just started tapping into it. And now um, in college, I'll be doing Air Force ROTC. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So. That program I owe so much to, not just challenging my opinions, but admiring how much this country has done for me and how much I should appreciate it. So yeah. in Israel, they have compulsory service, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, right? So did any of your, did your parents do any of that or so did they stay in my, Israel? Yeah, my mom served for three years. My dad's American, so okay. my dad served for three years. My mom served for three years, um, and then she came here to study. Um, she was in the Air Force as well. So she have she influenced me to go Air Force. I think Air Force is the coolest branch ever. It's the most cool. intellectual yeah. and so flexible in terms of what you want to do and kind of the nerdier one. So I was like, okay, let me go Air Force. And I think I, I think I chose I was choosing Air Force just because of the stories my mom would tell me. She told me her time in the Israeli Air Force was the best years of her life. Like I would just hear great stories of experiences that she had that, you know, she can't see going on life without it. 
I was like, you know what? I'm only 18. I can't see myself locking myself down, going on to pursue some sort of career right after college at 22. And I was like, you know, maybe let me do some military service and figure things out from there. Well, first off, that's amazing. <laughs> um, second off, I really hope that goes well because I, I do think more more the, the people. For, OK, so from my from my perspective, people who go into the military, I will always give the utmost praise to. Mm-hmm. If I ever ran a business, I would give military people anything for free. I don't care if they had money. I don't care if they were on the streets. I don't care about anything because if you serve for the country that allows us to be here, like if we did not have a military right now, it is very unlikely that we would be having this conversation or even being in this country to begin with. Because I know from since since you were saying that your mom is is from Israel, our parents are immigrants as well. Um, they came here because they knew there was opportunity here. And they knew that they would be safe here in a time where a lot of the world was unsafe and it was breaking down. And, and my mom even lived in Israel for a little while. She left when she was 12. So she never experienced going into the military. And I don't, I don't actually know if she would, should have, she would have wanted um, to be a part of the military. Um, but I've never really asked her about that. But I do think that there is something to say about people who go and do that type of service. And I think that... As a country, we need to start recognizing that these people are risking their lives for us and that we should really just be we should be paying it forward. If they risk their lives for us, why are we not doing the same yeah. for them when they come back? Yeah. Why like do the, they you see way too many veterans yeah. on the street? It's ridiculous. Jobless, just really terrible situations after they've served their time in the military protecting our country, which minimal amounts of people in the United States actually do do, you know? Yeah. So there's only one veterans hospital all of Long Island, like yeah, really. Our island, and I used to I go there every December to deliver gifts and stuff to the veterans during the holiday season. And I stopped going because it just it was hard to be there, looking at the amount of mold on the walls, looking at mm. how bad the facilities were for the people who served our country. And you know, I told myself once I if people you know like the cliche like what would you do if you had a million dollars like you know like if you won the lottery right like I would go first to that military hospital to the VA hospital and fix it. Hmm. Our veterans should not be treated that way. My grandfather served, and for a time he was in that hospital. And when I was younger, like I didn't really pay attention, obviously, to what's going on there. But as I grew older and kept on going back, like the facility is absolute crap. Like it's terrible how our our country treats our veterans, and there needs to be immediate reform. Hmm. Totally agree. Oh well, this brings me to an interesting question, because. I know the Republicans very, and I, I remember seeing Donald Trump talk a lot about veteran benefits, improving everything for be, uh, for veterans. Why do you think Republicans are more likely to to talk about veterans when Democrats tend to to leave them out of the equation? Yeah, so I think what we've been seeing a lot in terms of Democrat rhetoric is a lot of this social stance and social change instead of fiscal policy, like. I don't remember the really the last time I saw a Democrat take on like economic policy or even a foreign political stance rather than just answering diplomatically. But um, in terms of that, we also see a lot more Republicans going into the military itself. Mm. The military itself is based off rural areas because the military has extreme benefits for their soldiers. So in an area like us, where the higher to the the top two percent of our country in terms of income, we technically don't have to go into the military because we're going off to Wall Street or going off to work in Manhattan because that's where, you know, we've always, what we've always done. But 
people who go into the military, at least enlist in the military, are generally from the rural areas of our country, which tend to be more politically Republican based. Mm. So for them, it's in their best interest, once again, to see what veteran benefits they can get from doing so. Mm. I have kind of a cynical view of of the whole political scene, just in general. And when it when it comes to like, especially voter bases, because as much as I want to believe that that people really do want to help others, especially from what I learned last half of the year when we were taking AP government, I got really cynical because I I've I kind of almost believe now that a lot of people don't care uh, and they care more about their seat uh, like in Congress than they do about the people that they're serving or capital gain. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that makes me really sad because if you're going to be running for a position and you're going to hold office, I think you should care about the people that you run for. I don't think you should just care about getting your next election. And for me, what I've noticed about all of these hearings associated with Trump, especially the Michael Cohen hearing that just happened, I think a lot of Republicans fear a Trump Republican primary shift out where you know if if you if you do not support trump as being the main republican and doing all these uh doing all these things and you don't support him and don't protect him against the democrats who are trying to do an investigation then we're gonna put someone up against you in primary you're gonna lose your seat because trump is very favorable in the eyes of republicans i think i read polls that said 92 percent of republicans believe that trump is doing a good job so when it comes down to that, of course, people who want to speak out, for example, like Jeff Flake, right, was very vocal on being anti-Trump, but he flaked a lot as per his name. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, the, the Vox article. And, yeah. and he, he stepped down ultimately, and he did not run for re-election for whatever reason he had. But something that I've been thinking about a lot more lately is about political reform, Um Ariel, I'm I, and Joey. I also want to know from you because we've talked about this a little bit. What type of political reform do you think is necessary at this point? There, I, and I, I, I don't know if you believe that some things are wrong, but personally, I do. I think lobbying is a big issue. No, hundred um, percent. Yeah. I think I would even go Super as far donor to or uh, whatever. What I think called? I think PAC funding has PAC funding. has a bit become an issue, um, and I even could go as far as to say that I might believe that term limits should be that should exist what what are your thoughts on term limits and then also what are, what are your thoughts on just general change since you you do have extensive knowledge in this yeah once again like i think in the past at least 10 years we've seen a lot of this radicalism build up on the right and the left and there's no longer moderate republicans moderate democrats that we used to see in congress and now with after the midterm elections we've seen so many radicals just come into congress and infiltrate and once again just be concerned over their capital gain like their seat in the house or the senate but anyway it's just a matter of like do it for the people i think it's such a it's such a hard such an easy thing to say but it's such a hard concept for them to tap into like even on the democrat side uh we can t talk about some certain races over the midterm elections mm -hmm. like stacy abrams the big upset in uh georgia or even yeah. beto's upset in texas when he you know a texas senator was in almost insane um but the amount of money that went into their campaigns if you want to look logistically Bloomberg super PACs towards even Elizabeth Warren and certain um, certain um, even I forgot her name, but she was a Democrat running for House in Virginia. Just the amount of money that was infiltrated into their campaigns was nuts and they didn't even win. And what's insane is that these races are just being based off money mm. and who has the most money and who's going to 
win the races. And as we saw, money didn't really win <laughs> in this point of view because people are so heavily opinionated now mm. that they're that those opinions over like overtook the capital that was going into these races. So what what do you think then? So Bernie has this whole thing where he started a very large movement in small donations. Doesn't take any PAC money, doesn't take any money from lobbyists, doesn't do any of that stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Does, do you think that's a viable solution to change this system? Bernie's a very controversial figure because yeah. he gets the young people hyped. And yeah. <laughs> like the, just to say it that way, he just gets the young people hyped. So now if we look at the millennials that are going, that technically... Like if we look at the logistics, like they align themselves, they like Bernie a lot. It's more of the millennial generation. When I'm talking millennial generation, I'm talking from the age bracket of 25 to 35. So usually below 25. I actually think Generation Z and that what what our, what our generation is is actually going to be more moderate in terms of their political beliefs. Mm-hmm. But right now there exists this that age bracket from 25 to 35, um, and supporting this like socialist view, I guess, is just so. But be- like I don't know why, but it gets them really hyped up about it. But in terms of back to like the donation part of it, there's something about Bernie's rhetoric, just him as a figure that gets people hyped about it, like free education, free universal basic health care. Like there's just something about that that seems so easy and like such a great American dream to have that people want. Do you mm-hmm. think that women have been able to tap into that rhetoric as well? Like female p- politicians? There's been there's been a lot oh, yeah, of like the female of Bernie card? lately. Yeah, well, yeah. When it when it comes to especially female voters, I mean AOC is AOC. Yeah, a- AOC is a. I a think big that she kind of taps into that yeah. a little bit, maybe. There's there's been a. I know you talked about how, and I, and I totally agree with this that Democrats have focused a lot on social issues lately. Um, but I think that there's a, the new vein of the Democratic Socialist actually tries to focus a lot more on economic issues. Uh, Bernie always talking about the 1%. Or 70% the 3%, tax hike. Yeah, or yeah. what AOC said, um, Bernie talking about whatever he would talk about when it's related to the billionaire class, trying to reduce that, redistributed wealth policies, even Elizabeth Warren, who's trying to tap into that. And it's it's really interesting. And I guess this can, can push us a little into the 2020 conversation, which I'm absolutely interested in your perspective on. Um, but I think on the Democratic side, you see a lot of people going much more left and left and left. And it makes sense. Um, we talked about this in Gov2, where the people who are voting during primaries, especially in closed primaries, are voting because they are super passionate, like you were talking about. There's passion and there's interest, which I love, by the way. I love that. Um, and these people are super passionate. They're like, this is great. Bernie's amazing. Um, or this is great. Elizabeth Warren is amazing, so I'm going to vote. And they're very liberal. And sure, some of their things might be very good ideas. Um, Elizabeth Warren has a whole bunch of stuff on being a consumer protector. That sounds like some amazing stuff. Um, but I, I'm wondering, especially from Joey, actually. I want to I throw Joey this question because we always ask interviewees what, what their thoughts are. But Joey, what do you think of the 2020 Democrats so far? And then, Eric, um, I want to know what you think. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't really divulged into that particular conversation or that subject matter yet. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at this moment, I'm kind of looking at who the candidates are just for the Democrats. <laughs> there, there are a lot of them. There's no, a but lot. There's, there's a, a lot. lot. And, I, you know, the only ones which get real amounts of press, press, um, what's, what's time? press time are really like Bernie, maybe Elizabeth Warren. Got some Beto Corey, in there. Beto, Cory Booker. I want to talk about Beto after um, this. I'm yeah, a big I'm a big I, Beto guy. Though I, I feel like it's too early to really establish any opinions for me in particular. Sure. That's why. Because you know, it's 2019. 
we're, we've just entered the presidential race. Like it's officially started, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe. So I think that it's too early for me to hop on a bandwagon per se, or just develop any sort of opinions. Cause I haven't seen what policies they've actually presented yet. And as like what you said beforehand, I don't know if what they're saying is out of passion or out of real interest or, or you're not supposed to know, you know, yeah. we're still learning. That's yeah. the whole point of this. So I, I, even for politics as a general, general spectrum or as a general place, I never really feel comfortable, um, voicing out my opinions just because I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And I don't think there's any way that I can know because my perspectives are so skewed by media or by what people uh, talk about around me. Like what you said, the kind of pack mentality where people kind of cling on to particular perspectives. So I don't really know much about the the political race just yet, but I'll have to see how it unfolds. Sure. But, but I, I've always been interested in what Bernie's kind of said not not like that from I a, from a voting perspective, from from yeah. a voting perspective like how he's gaining that much traction especially in the era that we live in I have a prediction as to why he's gaining so much traction yeah. from the from kind of our generation either generation Z or the millennials because obviously free health care yeah uh, sounds great yeah free weed I mean <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying um no but I, I think that it's kind of interesting but I'll have to look more into it sure Ariel what are your thoughts on the the starting 2020 democrat right so right after the midterm elections i think the democrats suddenly got like like really hopeful in terms of okay we got the house back let's see if we can get the presidency back and now suddenly a lot of these people that ran for office in this past midterm elections and didn't really necessarily get their place or even actually did get their win the race um i'll mention a few names like we have elizabeth warren we got beto we got kamala harris we have cory booker um, just a few names to throw out there, but there's something about them as figures that people like. And I think right now the Democrats also are trying to go for a more female representation. Yeah. And I think that woman card that's being played right now is what's like, I think the Democrats really want that woman card to take play and who they're going to nominate for 2020. Um, then we have Bernie, but I personally don't think Bernie is going to be the democratic candidate for 2020 just because he's always had this very radical point of view. And it's just, not going to be a good face for the democratic party especially as we talked about we need more union unification right now mm. um if we go to the other side though a lot of republicans have a lot of confidence in trump winning the race in 2020 so we haven't even looked at that like who are the republicans going to nominate you know at least in 2020 there's, there's been a lot the, of the starbucks guy who's also oh yeah the C i yeah. think he's for the democratic party oh, is he yeah. he's, he's no he's 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 thinking about going independent he probably will not run yeah. there's been so there's much been a lot of controversy I think there's also, you know, Bloomberg running in 2020 for the Democrats, which has been... I don't think he will. I don't yeah. think the party's in his hands anymore. I think the Bernie's got the side of the... Okay, so from from what I think, I actually can see a Bernie winning. But here's how. I think he starts winning where where Trump used to win when it comes to Democrats because I think populism is so prominent. So you really think that they're going to sway from radical I, I right? I can very easily see a populism right versus populism left debate. And I don't know if that's the best thing for us right well, now. What do I you think? think why would so they division. comply so quickly to the more They've leftist. already gone there. Bernie got 44% of the vote in the primaries um, and did not get the superdelegates. He now has a superdelegates. He now has a deal to prevent the superdelegates from being involved unless there's a 55% over, uh, like there's a 55% bar that he has to reach. If he goes over that bar, then they're not going to engage in the superdelegates. Do you, do you know what superdelegates are? Not really. No. All right, so superdelegates are basically 
There are 800 of them. The delegate system, so the primary system is really weird to begin with. But each state has their own primary where they elect the candidate that they believe to be the best candidate. Uh, and then you get the delegates that are associated with that primary. They come on to basically like your team. Um, and they will vote for you when it comes time for the convention, which is like when you hear about the Democratic convention, the Republican convention, that's where all of this is taking place, as well as establishing like a platform and it's a lot of media attention. Um, but the delegates, you get delegates on, basically you have to win a majority of the delegates. And then when it comes time to the convention, then they vote basically all as a group again. And there can potentially be times where the person who we think will win the, the nomination will not win the nomination because there's a bunch of people who go rogue and they don't vote for this, the specific people that's never really happened before. But super delegates are a democrat invented thing where they bring on a lot of like established politicians that already exist and the intention of having superdelegates was to curtail radicalism um so part of what people talked about last time around with bernie and hillary is that when hillary got all the superdelegates that was a corrupt bargain um going back to like the andrew jackson stuff if, if yeah, you know about populist. that you haven't you haven't taken um u.s history yet but you'll learn about that it was a very similar situation where the Democratic Party basically hand-selected, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to be it. It's a close race, but the superdelegates go to her. And a lot of Bernie supporters were like, this is corrupt. This is ridiculous. No one voted for these people. These people are all so just trying to curtail our revolution. Like, they basically... Um, Think of them as like the, the atomic bomb solution, right? You have a radical candidate and you have a moderate candidate. Say the radical candidate is much more popular, gets more votes, but it's still a close race. Then we can engage the atomic solution, gets rid of Bernie Sanders. Hillary Clinton gets the election for, for the primary, um, and she becomes the nominee for the Democratic Party. That's so kind of like the it, backup strat. Is it usually the person who has the most amount of experience in the political sphere that gets the vote of the superdelegates? They, they tend to have on past politicians. For example, um, they might have on a mayor, like a Democratic mayor. Let's say like de Blasio, right? De Blasio comes on as a superdelegate and he'll establish his vote for a particular candidate. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of like how that system system works. I don't even remember how we got here, but um, I can foresee a situation where Bernie and Trump go head to head. Mm -hmm. But I'm a big Beto guy if he were to jump in, but it's because of his rhetoric. It's, it's the exact opposite reason. Um, I he doesn't have that many policy related things that that I think he talks about. Um, there's also been a lot of questions as to whether or not he's uh, corrupt by the oil companies because he took some some money from uh, head executives in the in the oil stuff. But when it even comes to st stuff like that, if people don't know about that, I highly recommend that you read into it because it's pretty important. Um, but even when it comes to that sort of conversation, Texas is all oil. Um, like that's their main thing down there. And then also wind and solar is a big thing as well. But if you get people to give you money just because you are in a part, like the head of an oil company, like he only took small donations. So even if you get 30 of them, it's really going to be only thousands of dollars as opposed to what they could probably shell out in a pack, um, which would allow them to give like millions of dollars. So I, I don't really know. Anyway, I'm a big Beto guy because he, of his rhetoric, because I think he's well, done particularly a, about his rhetoric that I, I, I just want to look into because okay, what so I think he talks a lot more about unifying and being open to other people. Um, and this is the one of the bigger things because I know he says some like semi controversial things like um, kneeling for the for the flag, like all that stuff. Like I get that. But I think the one thing that differentiates him from a lot of other people is that he will come and say, listen, 
and I believe this this video went viral, and one of the things he said is, listen, you're no less American for believing that someone should not stand for the flag than someone who should stand for a flag. I feel like he's more motivational than anything. But, but I like I, that. I like the, I don't, I, like, I feel secure. I feel, I feel, I, and I know there's not a lot of policy there. I think I that's that, appealing to your psyche, though. I don't know if he that's specifies. My that's my passion. Yeah. <laughs> there not, my, not my yeah. interest. Right. Yeah, but right. the thing it's, with him is like, I don't know if he specified any policy in the sense that I hear him talking and it's a lot of motivation, but it's yeah. not a lot of substance. Gotcha. And that's my one aspect where I'm kind of skeptical about him. I'm kind of with Joey on this one. I remember the whole like Senate race. But if we go back to the midterm elections, like this huge like, oh, Beto might take the seat from Cruz and all this stuff. I think what's really I'm not a Beto person, but I think what's cool about Beto as someone who has hella Texas friends down there and getting their opinions on it is that he brought this liberal face to the state of Texas. And, yeah. and like what's <laughs> really funny is that, you know, when everyone associates with like the conservatism, it's like, you know, Texas. It's like, you know, that's the South of America when it really just isn't. Um, but I think what Beto got is once again, this hype, this passion that drove people to suddenly like him, with, especially with like his immigration um, opinions and what he wants to do with that um, in terms of Texas and the wall and all that. But I get what you're saying in terms of how Asher's thinking about Beto. He's an interesting figure. Like I'm, I'm not a Beto person, but I'm interested on what he's like, what his stances are on policy. I personally just don't think he's gonna run as a presidential candidate for the Democrat Party. He said so himself. He's not really interested in right now. He's seeing a bit of a break from mm. politics. Why do you think that is? He's he's making his announcement this week, and and I'll yeah, you, probably, you can talk about this first, but I'll I'll explain why yeah. I think as well. Yeah. yeah. So Ariel first. Yeah, Ariel. Why do you why do you think he's not? I mean, he run? was taking a break a bit. Um, I don't. Well, I mean, he will probably make the announcement by the end of this week. Mm -hmm. I, I know what we're talking, what you're talking about, but I think it's interesting because he doesn't have political goals at the moment. I think he has goals, but no policy to back it right now. Yeah. And for someone, as we if we go back to my conservative mindset, like I'm heavily policy based, and I care a lot about policy. And if we get down to the literature of what these people are actually running with, so that's personally why I can't go with Beto. But I think he would be an interesting figure for the Democratic Party. It's just a matter of what he wants to do with that power and, you know, yeah. that social media attention he's been getting. Yeah. yeah, so I was I was reading an article yesterday, and this is the flip side of the story, why I believe that he's going to run. A, he spoke with Obama. B, he, ha he spoke with Obama's donors. C, he went on Oprah Winfrey's show, which she now has her own network, so she doesn't have the same sort of influence, but sh she's still Oprah. Um, four... He, his uh, sister said that she wants him to run and that he feels comfortable that he can run. And fifth, when he was on Oprah, he said that his kids want him to leave and they want him to go and run and win the presidency. And he said that the one thing that is keeping me from running right now is my family. And this is also something that I really cared about because he, to me, is more, well, aside from the fact that he's younger, um, closer to his family and I think closer to the grassroots. Um, he always, and you, what you were talking about before is him taking a break. What he did is he went on a solo trip um, through like the South, Southwest. Uh, he was in like Nevada. He was down in, in rural parts of Texas. And something that I really liked, and, and this is like where a lot of my ideas for us coming into this podcast really, really came from, is he talked about, I went into a super, super Republican place. And people knew me. I mean, I ran for Senate. But I came in there, and I'm obviously I'm butchering this story. He came in there, he went into a bar, and he feared for a few, for a few minutes that he might be attacked because he's, he's liberal and a Democrat. But he walks in there, he has a beer with some few guys, 
he talks to them and they're he didn't he never asked them what their political orientation was but there was like some sort of joke that they that the guy that he was speaking to the most who was very open to him um said you know there's one democrat in our town and i wish he was here today because i wish he could meet you uh, but i really like that that he at least talks about going there speaking to people talking to them and and his whole campaign in texas was i went to all of the districts i spoke to all of you and I am here for you. I know what you are saying, and I, I believe in all of you, and, and I don't know. I, I like to be optimistic when I can. That's why I like his rhetoric. I don't know what his policies are, and yeah. I totally agree with you that policy is super important. Like, I don't know. Beto kind of reminds me of the Marco Rubio of the Democrat Party right mm. now, in a way. Like, I was a major Marco fan in 2016 and during that race. I loved Rubio. I loved how he literally branched out to the people, and he was both like a bit you know he was he's cuban and he's a son of immigrants and all this stuff and I, I thought there was so much substance to that um but he branches out to the people that we haven't seen really in politicians like being an everyday person yeah, yeah. but also merging those two sides right like like going to a bar in texas like especially like a republican bar and how you know we can just sit down and have a beer with you know other people yeah. i think what really we're missing right now is that politics has defined like who we are as people like like I don't mix business and pleasure. And when I talk about business and pleasure, I don't mix politics with who I'm friends with, who I talk to. Like, I think those are two completely independent things. That's how it should be. And that's how it should be. You should Absolutely. be able to go grab a beer with someone who doesn't agree with you. And I think Beto embraces that's, that. Yeah. And, and something that I remember talking to my, talking to my mom about, um, just because I talked to her a lot more about politics than my dad. Um, I was talking to her about how, People on both sides of the aisle now, they don't go out with each other afterwards. Like, they, they actually hate each other or they just dislike each other. I think that's an issue. Like, I, I remember times where Joe Biden would go out with some Republican and they would go to to a bar or something like that and they would they would talk. Like, they, they could settle their business when they're in Congress, but when they're outside of it, they're still friends. And I don't understand how that can't still happen. I mean, and I'm glad that you came on today, especially because— I think more conversations like these should be had. Mm -hmm. uh, that people should not suck themselves into an echo chamber where they just talk to the same people all the time. You're just talking to liberals or conservatives just talking to conservatives. And I've watched a lot more TED Talks, actually, um, that focus on that idea. Uh, I think I posted something on our Facebook, too, that talked about um, this like larger-than-life bla um, black man who literally disguised himself as a oh, neo-nazi yeah the troll situation i thought yeah. that was so interesting because <laughs> yeah, it's like you never would expect that yeah and and to be able to go and and if any of you want to look up this ted talk or maybe we'll link it at the yeah. end of the podcast um it's so interesting because and and what he really talks about is what we try and espouse on on this podcast of being open to other people talking to them because at the end of the day, like I was saying before, we're all human. We all just want the same thing. We want to be secure. We want to have our own life with our family. We want to feel loved. Yeah, I think that like we just that. want connection over anything also, else. Also, it's like boring being around people that think the same way as you. Yeah. Like, I love the fact that most of my friends are liberal. <laughs> like, I'm not That's even going to lie about that. Yeah. I think it's fun. Like, my friends and I would just sit down during lunch and just have like these feminist fights <laughs> and i like that like you know being a woman and not being feminist like it's it's fun to represent that mm. though that part we, like we that should yeah, we, we should, should talk, talk about that we, let's let's talk oh, about it okay later. so yeah. what why we've talked a little about this as well since we we have been in the gender equality club um 
why don't you identify as a feminist? So once again, let's go back to the idea of conformity, mm-hmm. right? Feminism is just another form of conformity. And I think feminism, its it's been a movement throughout history. I mean, we've seen it back from the 1920s, but it's the matter of how that movement has gone on throughout where we are now in 2019 and how far it and where it is going. So right now, I think feminism should be, I can't identify feminism as the same thing as gender equality. And I think that's also one of my biggest issues with the movement itself. But once you identify yourself with feminists, and again, there's a whole line of questions that is lined up for you out mm. the door. Yeah, and it's insane that you guys as men who are, I guess, you know, support kind of, I think the feminist movement a bit, yeah. you guys have to answer a bunch of questions about what you support after that or to the extent in which you support the whole feminist movement. I think the idea and and the roots of the feminist movement are great. Like, But it's the matter of how tweaked it's been throughout history yeah. that's sure. kind of that's kind of sucky in terms of like you know the political activism yeah. of it like who's the like who's representing the head of the women's march and it's it kind of detracted the whole purpose of yeah. it uh, mm. for me particularly i feel like the differentiation between a feminist supporter and a person who doesn't really take a stance on feminism or just doesn't support feminism as a baseline is really based on the definition of feminism because i remember one of the first days we were talking about what is feminism or even like what is sexual harassment. And I feel as though the definition is so ambiguous Yeah. in the sense that one could think feminism is one thing and another person could think that feminism is another. And then it kind of breaks down feminism. Into There's no definition different. to it. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's, it's a confusing kind of topic to talk about just particularly because it doesn't have a basic definition which one can in in a way the political parties are now experiencing the same issue um and i think i think we're coming into a time where we might actually see a new emergence of a party system um we have not always had democrats and republicans if people do not know that um i highly recommend looking into how our political parties have developed but when it comes down to it our original parties or quote-unquote parties federalists anti-federalists it continues on whatever um, I'm not going to go into all the historical references, although I love that stuff. Um, but I think we're coming to a time where the parties themselves have become so wide-ranging. It's it's almost like there's no concentration anymore, and it's incredibly distributed. So you have the democratic socialists on one side, you have more centrists on the other, and there's not a lot of in-between there. Um, and I think the, the real person who will be able to get the 2020 um, election from a Democratic side, if someone can win the Democratic seat, is someone who can bridge not just the Democrats on the, the super left side and the more centrist, but also, but also swing in some of the Republicans that you were talking about that felt, listen, I'm not being looked after anymore. Donald Trump's coming to me saying, I'm going to care for you. And he's going to those people who he's speaking about those economic policies, which previously, as you had noted, were Democratic places and people like fdr had really spoken to those people because he he espoused a very specific economic message that i will take care of you i have the social programs that you need and i think that we need a new time of somebody to just come out and try and unify i don't know who it's going to be i know it's a very hard job and i really hope if someone tries to do it for example like a beto who i would hope would do something like that or even a cory booker or kamala harris that it works because really if we stay divided um and i remember a teacher telling me this once in freshman year there will be a civil war there will be a second one and and maybe not in the same context maybe it'll had beforehand maybe it might be digital and it it, it might not just be 
some someone told me it's not going to be north versus south. It's going to be east coast and west coast versus the middle. And that's such a weird thing to think about. But if you think about it, the coasts are farly, far more liberal, um, especially the urban centers. And the center of everything, being the United States, is much more rural, much more conservative. And that's a, that's a hard thing for me to think about, especially since we're growing up and, and we're both politically minded, and so as is Joey. Um, but I don't know. It's hard, and, and I hate seeing this because I do truly appreciate See, where I we live. I'm just looking at the geography of the United States right here, <laughs> just as a reference point. I don't really think that like the East Coast is as liberal as the West Coast. I agree, actually, because like North Carolina, because you got South the South down there. Well, yeah, North sure. Carolina's going a bit Democrat lately, but yeah. we got South Carolina, you got Georgia up there, you got. Well, Florida is kind of a debatable state, but yeah, like you state. have the southern, like the southeast is is pretty conservative. It yeah. depends how they go, but West Coast is heavily because it's only California and Washington, really. So maybe Oregon. I'll edit my statement. Maybe it'll <laughs> just be the urban yeah. people and the suburban against the rural, which yeah. would be terrible, like absolutely it's sad. terrible. It's sad because now there's this. I think it's a matter of ideology and partisanship at this point. Like, I think we've, I don't know if it's going to be an ideological war or like a partisan war. And I, I think people nowadays mostly associate conservatives with Republicans and, you know, liberals with Democrats. And there's always flips to that. I know some liberal, cons- liberal Republicans. I know some conservative Democrats. And yep. it's, I don't know, but there's just been this weird crossover between ideologies and partisanship that's creating such but a I mess. Think that, I think that's exactly what might breach the whole system that because we have been so divided maybe we break off and we have you know a socialist party democrat party republican party and i don't know populist party like a right populist party that's kind of what israel has at the moment yeah they have multiple parties like that i could i could see an almost parliamentary coalition based system where but the the part of the issues with those type of situations is you almost have to and i don't know whether or not this is good or bad but you have to create a coalition and create a majority so you need people to come on with you else you don't win which maybe is a good thing but it's very difficult because then you still almost end up creating your own party every time there's a new election where you create new coalitions which can be very complicated and potentially does not work yeah i remember in gov we were talking about like these third party groups of like being created but they eventually hopped on to like the biggest majority yeah. group because they were like oh like they can advocate for whatever we are in their rhetoric so and just like add it on the green party yeah abiding by i don't know the more democrats. Democrats. there's also yeah. like a women's party and there's a, a workers party or something like that something i found really interesting so i was listening to a podcast by oh my god i'm gonna butcher it oh no it's freakonomics and they did this amazing analysis, and they're this whole podcast that focused on weird economic theories, but they did a podcast on how the two parties are actually both monopolies, where it's a two, it's a two, think about it like this, um, and they gave this example in the podcast, maybe we'll link this as well, because it's a really good podcast, um, but they gave the example of when you look at soda, you typically think of two things, Pepsi and Coke, and those two um, even though if you might think about other things like Sprite, et cetera, et cetera, those two are actually control, um, or those two actually control the majority. Like so they're like a paradigm percent. for the rest of yeah, whatever that group might be. They, no, not even a paradigm. They own the other the other things like Coke owns Snapple, I believe. Um, and they, they own a ton of the water, et cetera, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so they have a lot of control over it. And they're the two biggest ones. They're the main competitors. And in a way, it parallels very nicely with our political system where we have two parties. Uh, but these two economists gone kind of they, – there was like one woman who ran a business. 
um, but now has done a lot more political, uh, politically minded things. But um, business minded people now getting involved in politics, being like, listen, these two parties, this ain't it. Like, so who this is, is just the not Pepsi working? and Coke in our certain Democrats and Republicans? Yeah, that, that's what you mean. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that's what you <laughs> mean. The two, the two like major parties, yeah. and they and they eat up every single other idea. And we talk about the Green Party. The Democrats eat up the whole idea of environmentalism, and then it becomes part of their platform. It's not like the Green Party can compete because the Democrats are so large and they have such a stronghold with their base that you're never going to see someone who's part of the Green Party or even the Libertarian Party get any sort of election because how would you if yeah. the ideas are just somewhere else with a more established um, like voter base? And it's 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 really weird to think about as as I forget what the word was called. It was like a biopoly or something. Because um, it's not a monopoly. A monopoly would just be one company controlling everything. But it's really interesting to think about. Uh, you know, we have like the antitrust laws, but we always associate them with the corporations. And we're not really using antitrust as much right now. That's why Amazon's gotten so big, where yeah. some people think they should be broken up. Um, but to think about our political parties as almost being needed to be broken up because they have too much of a stronghold and they have too much of a control on our beliefs and our and our messaging and, and everything else. Can just we, it just shows like the dirtiness of partisanship at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. You know. Can we segue into the because I know that you mentioned the antitrust kind of conversation, which yeah. we we both listen to Freakonomics, really good podcast. Yeah, I read their it. book When to Rob a Bank, which I highly recommend if really? anyone's listening. Yeah, so. I'm I'm trying to buy a free the Freakonomics, some of the Freakonomics books, books as well. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we were listening to this podcast on vacation about antitrust, uh, antitrust laws as a general scheme, and they talked about how Netflix pays zero tax dollars. And Amazon so does Amazon. Pays the tax zero. breaks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they find loopholes within the system. For example, they put their money in the Cayman Islands or in yeah. Ireland, um, or they put their money into stock, which significantly reduces their tax, tax yeah. expenditures. So um, for in particular, I, I don't think that it's either conservatives or liberals abide by, uh, we should have anti uh, antitrust laws, like, or we should enforce them now, or... We shouldn't. So I'm curious to see like what your particular perspective is on these large corporations and antitrust laws interacting with them. So I'm not gonna lie, I'm still trying to learn about it. I'm not. I'm not like sure. incredibly knowledgeable. Yeah. I'm just gonna put that out there before no, I no, say I'm anything. Sorry, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, with extemp, I've recently been seeing a lot of like this huge big business. These big business questions come up with like tax breaks and um, like the fairness of like the government letting that happen in terms of that. But right now our economy is going heavily capitalist and we've been seeing that both from liberals and conservatives alike like they like the free market economy period like mm. i don't know why they just do and we and the matter of letting these big corporations get away with like tax breaks and stuff is a matter of the government coming in and regulating that economy so it's a matter of let's see if the government what's what can the government do um in terms of like Amazon and stuff, like those big companies, like let's um, like if I talk about like how Amazon was about to build its next, you know, headquarters Long here Island in Long City. Island City and how they suddenly detracted from that idea. Um, like if we talk about those two different opinions, like again, it wasn't really political or ideologically based because these are modern day issues that we are currently facing. And now these parties and like these small groups suddenly have to get like policy and rhetoric going about where they stand on it mm. right because these are modern day issues and once again like if we go back to let's say my conservative mindset like how does my conservative mindset tackle this situation and i think that's what like a lot of like republicans are having to deal with right now as well as democrats but i don't know it's just liberalism like they go with the flow intense in terms of like what's going on in the modern day 
But this is a modern day issue we're talking about. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, and it's like a hot topic now, especially Bernie likes to talk about a lot. AOC talked about it. She championed that uh, Amazon was leaving. That whole debate's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Which yeah. We, we could definitely, <laughs> all right. So um, we're, we could definitely talk about yeah. that um, in a separate episode. Yeah. We're, but we're uh, sh- should we talk about, all right. Uh, we so, can um, talk a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah. So just a little s- to sidetrack from the conversation a little bit, we're going to be introducing a new segment into this whole podcast. Um, I think that, a lot of our future guests will really enjoy it. Um, so the premise is we basically research a topic, whether that be 70% tax break, tax hikes for the extremely rich or, or whether it be know. about in, in, in whatever, enforcing the antitrust laws on Amazon basically or like any that. topic that, that we really want to talk about. It couldn't even, it could be something other than political, for instance, health topics, which diet is the best. It doesn't matter really, <laughs> but just it's, it's real, uh, just research for that allows us to have an open conversation at the end of the week. So on a Sunday, um, and we're probably going to call this segment round table. Yeah. The round table. Uh, Asher, why, why do we, why do we call it the round table? I mean, we're at a round table right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So like the, the hope is in the, and this is a, a very large sidetrack, but I guess it's good to give a little bit of a vision cool. of what we're doing, yeah. um, is to have again, like invite Ariel, for example, back on, but instead of having an interview setting like we're doing right now, which we do want to continue to have, let's say, four of us, because our, our station allows us to have four different Boom. Um <laughs> To have four of us up here, we sit around a table, we do a little research beforehand, and when we come in, we have a specified topic already. And similar to how um, the activities that we have done in the past um, did it, we would have a very educated conversation about it, just that so we're, we're speaking with some sort of knowledge they'll likely be much shorter so for all of you who who dislike our length of podcast yeah, we're i know sorry. that an hour is pretty long in duration <laughs> we're sorry but there's a lot of valuable stuff in in these conversations um so the the last two questions i'm i'm thinking about to talk to you ariel is f- the first is do you think you would ever run for office any sort of office I think right now, I don't know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie, but seriously considering it, I don't know. Like, I think politics is just such a corrupt nature. I, I think I'd bring a good face to it. And, you know, my parents always thought of me as going into it and whatnot because of all the activities I've done. But particularly right now, I don't really want to. I think for me, I'd rather be the person that gives the policy to the politicians in terms of mm. right now what I want to do is intelligence. So, like, there's currently 11 government intelligence agencies and I'd rather be the one that advises the politician on taking um, the right direction because I'd, I'd rather work with the truth than make up lies mm-hmm. and get votes that way um, just, I, just out know. of curiosity what are you looking to study in college um, intelligence analysis which only a few colleges offer but hopefully if not then government okay or in computer science cool cool and the, the last question I, I want us to, to end off on is and this is a bit of a big question but I still want to investigate it a little what are your thoughts on the new conservative media outlets like a Ben Breitbart Shapiro, News or Breitbart, uh, Tommy Lauren's a, a hot name too. Or even their social media prominence like yeah. what's his name, uh, Jordan Peterson. Talks uh, like a, a bit about conservative ideology, yeah. although he's Canadian. But I'm, I'm curious, what do, you, what do you think? I don't really listen to a lot of them because I'm, again, very literature policy based. And I like, I actually listen to more conservative think tanks. Um, but in terms of those people i guess like ben shapiro i actually listened to ben shapiro on the occasion i like him a lot i think he's an interesting figure um in terms of the other people i think tommy lauren is 
she doesn't know what she's really talking about. She's, she's, a lot, she's a lot of passion. She's a lot of passion. I think what's the problem with those people is that they don't balance out passion with interest and an actual policy-based talks with actual evidence. And I'm a very facts-based person. Um, that's why I listen to more conservative think tanks. And I and I highly advise that. Is to Wait, which ones do you listen so to? So I like the Heritage to. Foundation. I like... Um, the Heritage Foundation, there's the American Enterprise Institute. I have to look up all these for extent because there's so many. Sure. Um, but I like them better because they have actual like conservative ec- economists writing these articles and conservative like thinkers writing them. And for me, if you're writing it down, it's so much different than when you're talking it because when you're talking, you know, it doesn't, you don't know if it's the truth or not. But when you're writing, it's all facts based. Sure. And you can research it. You have and more you time. can research gotcha. it. Yeah. So I'm definitely more of a reader than a listener in terms of that mm. conversation. Sure. Well, that was an yeah. amazing conversation, Ariel. Thank Great you so much for being on. Thank would you. Yeah. Would you like to plug any of your social medias? If, if sure. You, <laughs> um, you can friend me on Facebook, Ariel Fischler, and then you have my social media, Ariel Fischler with two R's. <laughs> cool. Is there any particular outlet, like wh- what you talked about with where you publish or anything um, that you want right to plug? Right now, not at the moment. Okay. Um, hopefully, I actually might be starting my own blog soon. Oh, really? So, Le- okay, let us know if you do that because yeah. we, will, we will put that on our Facebook. Yeah, 100%. we might. Um, let's see, second semester project. We might take that on. Gotcha. So we'll see. That's, That's awesome. Dope. All right. Thank you all for listening. Yeah. The this Debate Without Debate podcast. Thank you guys again. Uh, as always, feel free to contact us at the debate without debate podcast at gmail.com or to feel- send us that audio message on Anchor. Please. Yeah, please. We need some audio messages. We're talking to you, Gurgis. <laughs> 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 yeah, but really just uh, message us on any of our social medias. We have Facebook, Instagram, you name it, anything we got. Feel free to contact us. Any inquiries, questions, uh, support, anything that matter, just contact us. We really appreciate it. This was your bi-weekly dose of DWD. We are out. Peace. Peace.